1: when we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller karras
2: Welcome to Resiliency Within. Our, our show today is entitled Domestic Violence, Finding the Strength to Leave. I have a wonderful guest, Beverly Gooden, that I will introduce to you in just a, in just a few moments. But first, I want to give you some facts. One in four women globally experiences domestic violence. On average, it takes seven times for most survivors to successfully leave an abusive relationship. But behind the statistics are human beings. And and Beverly will share her heart-wrenching experience of intimate partner violence and what she had to do to walk away and how others can use her experiences to escape their own abuse. She will share practical advice on things like finances, possessions and housing, from skimming the grocery money to squirreling away personal belongings to navigate a domestic violence shelter. As importantly, She offers strategies for overcoming the social and emotional barriers survivors often face, such as overcritical social circles and most powerfully love. And I think a lot of people often say, you know, why don't you just leave? And it's not so easy. Um, Let me tell you a little bit more. Um, Beverly is a writer and the creator of the viral social media movement. Hashtag hashtag why I stayed. She earned a master's degree in social justice from Loyola University, Chicago, where she wrote her thesis on institutional responses to single women experiencing intimate partner violence. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Time. And she's been interviewed on NPR and Point and All Things Considered, ABC's Good Morning America, NBC's Today Show, um, and now Voice America. (laughs) And she lives (laughs) in Houston, Texas. She's an author of surviving why we stay and how we leave abusive relationships and we hope you all go out and buy that book today after you <laughs> after you hear beverly talk about her experiences so yeah welcome 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 beverly so thank good you, to meet
3: you it's so good to meet you thank you for having me i really appreciate it
2: well as we're getting started today i always like to ask my guests anything especially on your mind right now before we start with some of the questions we prepared today Oh, anything on uh,
3: you know, yes, actually. So one thing that I was thinking about last night, and I just kind of tweeted about it a little bit, is the way that we use language. One of the things I've been thinking about in terms of domestic violence and the conversations that we have now and in the future is I've noticed that some people will use domestic violence or abuse specific terms like gaslighting to to um reference anything that happens in their relationship that they didn't like. And I think it's really important to use gaslighting and all the other abuse related terms exactly the way that they were created to be made, to be to be stated because if we use gaslighting and we just mean our feelings were hurt, you know, or something like that, then we're diluting yeah. the meaning of the term itself. And that's something that I've been thinking about literally over the last like 24
2: 48 hours because I've seen it a lot lately. And we don't want to dilute the words, the meaning of the words, because domestic violence is deadly. Death. And and we right. have to pay attention to that. And it's not something to look at lightly or to right. minimize what happens to to people all over the world um, exactly. as, a re- as a result of it. So thank you for sh- you know starting with that. So <laughs> you know, and so I wanna I start by you know asking you a little bit about your personal story. Um and you've decided to share it in, in your book. And I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about what happened to you. And I, I, ask, I ask you that with all respect, you can tell us oh, as yeah. little or as much as you want. Thank you. And also um, knowing that you did decide to share um, aspects of your experiences. So um, and kind of what led you to decide to do that? Because yeah. I think that's kind of an act of bravery and courage as oh, well. Oh, thank you.
3: yes. You know, I, and it's funny that you say that because I never wanted to, it was never my intention to uh, do this. It really wasn't. I didn't, when When I got out of my marriage, I planned on never talking about it again. Seriously, like I planned on never talking about it, um, speaking about it for sure, not writing about it. It was over and I was happy with that as the result. Um, so a little bit about myself in my relationship i met my ex-husband when i was in college and um went to grad school and we started dating and it, it's it's weird because everything was fine you know and i think that is part of the story of abuse that a lot of people don't realize is that it starts fine everything is good it's romantic it it doesn't even have to be like overly romantic it can just be like generally what you want in a relationship and you think you have it and that was the story with me i i dated him and everything was good and you know we were growing together making plans together he met my family you know, we got a dog, like kind of like all the things that you're like, you all the things that you want in life. <laughs> yeah. think, oh my gosh, things are stacking up. This is really good. Right? Like it's just happening and it's yeah. happening in the moment that I want it to. And, you know, everything's hitting on all cylinders. And then one day on my birthday, he threw me a birthday party and it was the very first time that he ever physically harmed me. He was upset because of something that happened at the party. And after it was over, he threw me up against the wall and he started to strangle me. And um, first, time, it had been seven to eight months that we have been dating, never physically harmed me in any way. And so because that was the first time that that had happened and I had a history of him not being violent, I convinced myself that it was me. Like I convinced myself that this behavior was an anomaly. It wasn't who he was, um, it was something I did. I could fix it. I could change it. I could, you know, this is, this is my fault. It's not him because he's this good person that I've known
2: all this time, you know? So, um, and and Beverly that's not an an atypical reaction when it first happens. I think that's what I really want. All of our listeners who may be in a relationship right now, or maybe know someone they love in a relationship that you think, okay, well he did it once, but, oh, I've got seven months of him being just like, fabulous. We even have a dog. This must've been like some, you know, wild thing that he will never do again, but badly. And also the self blame. Oh, if I would Mm -hmm. have done it differently, because that can be the beginnings, I think, as we both know, of the cycle of violence. Yeah, because then the projection and blame is on you and he doesn't have responsibility. So please continue. Yes, please continue. That's
3: also true. And it's such a good point, because I think that, you know, it's easy to blame yourself particularly when someone else is blaming you too. And that's what makes, you know, the culture of victim blaming so deadly is because now you have three people <laughs> blaming you. You have you, you have the Beezer and you have society. But that's an, that's another tangent, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. it really
2: is. It, it really is. And there's so many reasons why people say, and I mean, this can happen with families as we know. Yeah. Oh, honey, you just need to, to, you just need to just pay attention and, you know, just apologize. Everything's going to be okay. Right. He's a good guy. I mean, there can be a minimization, yeah. which also yeah. can be part of why you stay. Why someone yes. stays? Well, because yeah. maybe they're right. Because maybe things will get better. So anyway, continue. And you're told that you're told that you hold the power
3: to change the dynamic. You are told that you have the power to fix the situation. You're not. We're not told that it's 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 something that is calculated. You know, we're not told that this was intentional, that this is on purpose, that it's been building up to this moment. We're not told that. We're just told this happened. You can control it. Maybe if you pray about it, you know, you know, just kind of like all these things that I can do to fix it. And that isn't the case. But so um, he did that. He let me go. I didn't leave him. I, I intended to figure out why he did it and fix it. That was it. That, oh, the, and did, that and did he apo- whole... did he did he apologize? Did he say, Oh, he I'll never do did. this again? Yeah. All every time, every time that he did anything, he always apologized. And so he did that time. I accepted it quickly because again, it wasn't who I knew yes. of him, you know. And so it was like, okay, of course you won't do this again. Of course this is not who you are, you know, all the things that abusers will say. And so um, and it didn't happen for a while. That's another point I want to make um to your viewers and, and listeners is that not abuse is not always constant. You know, it's not always every day, maybe not every week or every month. That doesn't make it any less abuse. It just means the the incidents are staggered. And so another way I convinced myself that it was my fault or that it wasn't who he was is because he. it was timed appropriately. So something would happen and then nothing would happen for three months. Three months is enough time to convince yourself, you know, that it was an, an unusual occurrence. Well, so you know? Kimberly,
2: can I ask you something? So yes. in between the times that he would strike out at you, did you notice that you started to change, that mm. you started like walking on eggshells? Let's see, oh my goodness, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything um, on my side of the street, that's right and proper. And, yeah. and did you note? Know, did you do that or not? Did you start being like more hypervigilant? I guess in the, the beginning, question. I didn't,
3: you know, in the beginning, I didn't, it took me a long time to identify what was going on as abuse. I didn't, I didn't even call it that it was just a situation, you know, and so I didn't change anything about myself at first, I wanted to figure out why he did that the first few times. And then it turned into, I need to change myself so that this doesn't continue. You know, so it did move from, I need to figure out why you're doing that. I don't know, I'm gonna leave, and went from I still don't understand why this is happening. So let me it turn it inward and trying to fix it that way. That's okay. what happened. And so eventually right. I, I became hyper well, but at I just first want to I say
2: wasn't. I want to say one thing to anybody that may be in the same situation. I want to just say that if anyone close to you, or anyone tries to strangle you, that is an act of violence, that is abuse, and that that is something that the person needs help right away. Yes. And if they're not willing to get help, then you have to help yourself. If possible, you're going to tell us, and I know that's not so easy, but I, I want to dispel that and really, it's kind of a myth. Strangulation is danger. Yeah. yeah. Strangulate can lead to death and has lead, lead to death. Yes, So it's not a benign act, even if it yeah. happens only once, even after seven months of being a model citizen, the one time is enough to say, yeah. oh my. And what we know about the cycle of violence is that it will continue and it will escalate. And so yeah. that's just such an important thing to know. and And it's we want to just kind of embrace and, you know, kind of put our... <laughs> our arms around all of you that are living yeah. in that situation to know yes. that there is help available. And that's why we're going to talk about the next question, which yes. is yeah, the yeah. first part of your book subtitle is why we stay. And why do so many people stay in abusive relationships before we get to how to leave? Because we yeah. want to definitely get to that part. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why do, why, do, why do we stay?
3: Yeah, the most common reason is resources. You know, resources have to do with everything. And then by that, I mean money, you know, time, um, access to childcare if you have children or ways to feed yourself and your children. Everything is about resources. And I think now how. People that maybe didn't realize that before are starting to with gas prices being so high. They're coming down, but like we had that moment where they skyrocketed with inflation, with everything. You know, if we who are not experiencing violence at home have issues with access to resources. Can you imagine what it's like for someone who is experiencing violence at home and has nowhere to go? It's resources. And so this is why a lot of agencies and shelters provide specific resources to help people get out. They provide transportation, bus passes, things like that, shelter, food, socks, you know, um childcare, you know, uh, babysitting. They provide all of these things because those are inhibitors. Those are reasons why people can't leave. And so it has to do with resources. I stayed specifically me because I, well, part of it was love. I don't want to minimize that at all. Like I wanted to be with him. The majority of it was that I didn't have anything on my own. I had one bank account with him, one debit card, one credit card. We had one car, one, you know, obviously one apartment. Everything that I had was his. I didn't have anything of my own. Any dollar I spent he knew you know and so that story is not unique you know as you know like that is very common it's part of how you get trapped in abuse anyway is that your your access to resources become restricted by your abuser. They don't want you to work, or they run up your credit card so you don't have any money, or they tell you not to leave the house, or they take away your car. So there's just one car. you become completely dependent on them, and it's by design. And so that was my situation, and so that's why I stayed, and it's a lot of reasons why a lot of people stay.
2: Yeah, I kind of want to just say another thing too, because other um, I. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I've worked in this area for many, many years. And w- one of the reasons why, too, is fear, mm-hmm. because oftentimes yeah. an abuser will say, well, if you leave, you know what can happen. And so because the violence mm-hmm. has been existing in the household, there's the fear that if I leave, it could yeah. get worse for me or my children. And, and so for that reason, too, you know, and because you've been a victim of actually being physically assaulted. That's not a again a benign threat or a threat that you don't think is beyond. You have to take the, it seriously, yeah, yeah, seriously because women die every day at the yeah. hands. I'm just. Wanna, I don't want to just say women because I know that there's men and people, people can, that that yeah. identify as you know non-binary that lose their lives every single day because they have been they've been killed by their yes. abuser that they that who they also loved and I think that's part yeah. of the that's the treachery of it because it's not it's not a clean thing. It's like this person that you love and that has shown love to you also can beat the hell out of you. Yeah, that's and that's the that's just the hard thing. It almost makes it that much harder because you just hope for that that love again. Yes. Yeah. And
3: and one of those statistics that I've heard a lot is that um, the most dangerous time for someone to leave an abusive relationship is the two weeks. Following the time that they've left. So that is the the moment where um the violence escalates. It's because the abuser has lost control of you um, and they want you back. They want that control back rather. They want that power back. And so the violence escalates. And so it's actually leaving is the most dangerous time um, in the relationship. And so. I think, you know, when you're living with someone or when you're involved with someone who is violent and who might be unpredictably violent, fear is a definite factor in staying yes. because yes. how do you know that the threats won't be true? Because everything you know about them at this point is that they have the capacity for violence. Yes. And so if you tell me after being violent, toward me, if you leave me, I'll kill you. I'm going to believe that.
4: I'm yes. going to believe
3: that. You know and so um my ex never said that to me but i know that that's the story of a lot of people who experience abuse is that they get threatened in that way um and i it's fear It's It's fair,
2: you know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this a little bit. But I also want anyone that's listening at this point to know that's one of the reasons why Mm.
4: shelters
2: um, keep themselves very anonymous Mm -hmm. in terms of where they're located and safe houses, because they know that. So I want anybody's considering leaving to know that if you contact your local shelter, they will try everything possible to get you into a safer place that is anonymous so that Mm. the abuser cannot find you. So I I just want to assure people that that's not necessarily the reason, oh, I got to stay because I could be killed. I can make the right choices in preparation which is that's what I'd like to talk about you yes. next is, how yes. do you leave <laughs> and that's your big thing because that's, that's so, my big thing so could you share with us how you were able to leave and what yeah. was the build-up that you finally said enough is enough I need to figure something out was there yeah. maybe there wasn't that point so please no, there was
3: me. yeah so there so all throughout the relationship mostly throughout the relationship I could point to something I did to make him Make him, that's not real, but like make him hit me. You know, I I could I could make it my fault the whole time. One morning, um, I woke up to him pushing me out of the bed. That's how I woke up. Like I wasn't already awake, I wasn't talking, I wasn't getting on his nerves, nothing. I was just asleep. And so that was the moment, that was my moment that I realized for the first time I wasn't doing it because logically, what are you doing when you're sleeping? Like, you know, that was his mistake. It was was giving me a moment to think about it. What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. I'm asleep. I'm not snoring, even like I'm just there, you know, and so it clicked, it clicked that I wasn't doing this. And once it clicked that I wasn't doing this, I had a second realization. And that was that I could die. Because if this was something that I wasn't doing, it wasn't something I could control. And if it's not something I can control, it can escalate to places I can't even imagine. So I just had those moments, you know, in, in that, in that you know, situation where I woke up to, to fa- when I woke up falling, where I was like, okay, this isn't adding up, like nothing makes no. sense now. And so um, I write about it in the book, but there was some violence that morning. And I couldn't get out that exact day, because I knew, as you mentioned before, I had to prepare. I I knew that I couldn't run because I knew the second I ran, he would be right there. Just instinctively, I knew that that wasn't going to be a good end result for me. And so I decided to do the things I've been doing the whole two years i had been with him and just kind of try to deescalate the violence and make things calm again. Only this time I was planning to get out. So my, you know, trying to get the deescalation wasn't to save myself or continue the relationship. It was to prepare. I needed
2: time to plan. And so my so first step- let, let, let's underscore that time mm-hmm. to prepare. So mm-hmm. you need to really be mindful and intentional. But there's something else that I want to highlight of what you said and that is there was an existential moment Mm -hmm. I could die and that seemed to be pivotal for you and that I've heard that before from other people that there's this point when you know oh my gosh it's like the light bulb Mm -hmm. turns on and I've got to figure out how I'm going to prepare okay so then so then what
3: did you do so the first thing I did was go to the internet (laughs) (laughs) that good old internet yes (laughs) I went online and as I mentioned before, Elaine, I hadn't identified as a survivor of abuse or a victim of abuse. I just, I didn't think that's what was happening even with all evidence pointing toward that. And so I went online and I remember the first thing I Googled was what does it mean when your husband hits you? That's how much I didn't know. That's how, that's how far away from my mind abuse was. I didn't know, even know what to call it. And so obviously all the results are, you know, abuse, domestic violence, and, you know, here's the website for this. So it, it, it led me to that place. The first place I went was the National Domestic Violence Hotline website, and they had um, almost immediately when you start to look at, look at their website, it, there's something called safety planning. It just kind of pops up everywhere because they know, you know, they want you to know that it takes planning. And so I just clicked on those links and they had templates for, you know, planning your leave. They had suggestions like making copies of your IDs and driver's license and debit cards, Um, if possible, getting a storage unit and hiding things there, Um, letting someone know what's going on so they'll know how to contact you, Um, leaving phone numbers for, you know, things that you don't have, phone numbers you don't have memorized um, somewhere hidden so that you can, you know, access them if you have to leave. One of the most important things that I found though was called an escape bag. And so I wanted to make one of those. And a skate bag is essentially a bag of whatever you need, mostly toiletries, if you need to grab it and go. Because I didn't want that to be the case, but who's to say it wouldn't have been? I need to run and go. So in order to make that bag, as I mentioned, my ex-husband didn't let me be alone much. And so I didn't have a car of my own. The only thing that he didn't like to do was grocery shop. So he would send me to the grocery store with the money and the car. And I would do it by myself. And so when I got there, every time I went, every other week or so, I would take money from the grocery money. And I used that money to buy, you know, the travel aisle things like soap and toothbrush and toothpaste um, to make my escape bag. I put some of the actual cash into the escape bag. One time I was at the store and I made, they had a copy machine back then. I don't know if they do now. This is 2010. But I was able to make copies of my IDs for like a quarter, you know, things like that. Um, And I made my escape bag that way. And I just had that hidden in the closet. He also didn't really go in the closet like that. So I had that hidden in the closet where I knew he wouldn't find it. Um, And from there, I had to call the domestic violence shelter locally. As you mentioned, which I'm glad you did, they don't give you an address. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they they don't. And I didn't know that at the time. So I was just kind of like, what? But they don't give you an address. They do tell you where to go um, as a starting point point if you need to get out. And they also tell you to call law enforcement if it's an emergency. They don't say to wait. There's no wait around for that. Um, and so um, I called, I got the address to their administrative offices and I'm, I mapped the bus route to their office because I didn't have a car. And um, it, this all took about two, two three months. And then one day when he was at work, I grabbed my bag, <laughs> I had the bus route and I left. And I went to the shelter. Well,
2: I went to the administrative offices. And so that was the beginning. Now, was there anybody in your family that you could tell what was happening Mm -hmm. to you or not? Did you feel like you couldn't share? And they knew what your plans were? Yes. Yeah.
3: So after I want to I want to say, though, I hadn't told them until I was ready to leave. I never told them that my that my husband was was hitting me never once. And I didn't I did that because I still thought I could fix it.
2: And if I was able to fix it, I didn't want them to hate him because I knew that would happen, you know, especially my brother. Do you you think that in hindsight that you wish you would have said something sooner or not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I I think I I wish I would have, if for no other reason than they would have been able to plan with me. You know, planning alone was really hard. You know, it was keeping those secrets, secrets weigh on you. I swear, like they, they weigh you down. And so keeping all of those secrets is really hard. Pretending was really hard, you know, when I would get on the phone and, yeah. you know, maybe I was just crying and then I have to pretend like I'm okay because my mom will definitely know if I was crying, you know, she'll definitely know that that was hard. So I, I wish I would have said something for safety purposes,
2: but also to not carry that weight alone. So you would give the advice now that if there is a person that's safe, to try to reach out to them, Mm -hmm. so that you're not so alone with it. Because I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. or maybe not, that would have accelerated your leaving or not. But at least there would have been a safety line that you could at least have talked to someone about what was going on that you trusted. Yeah, and I think it really has to be someone that you trust.
3: You know, as you mentioned, it's it's abuse is a really complicated, sensitive situation and. I say someone you trust. So, because I, I think it has to be someone who cares for you um, understands the severity of the situation, but also understands the complexities of it and is not going to grab you by the hand and say, you're stupid. If you stay, get out right now, this is ridiculous. You know, better than that, because that doesn't help. That doesn't help. If anything that would make me want to be like, all right, calm down. Like I'm, we're fine. Everything's fine. It makes you defensive. And that's not a position you want someone. Right. And and you can, and you know, you can
2: understand that somebody loves you. They're going to go, honey, you got to get the hell out of there right now. And you're going, mom, I can't leave right now. I can't because you don't know the delicacy of it. So almost you need someone there to listen to you, Mm -hmm. to support you and to maybe guide you in the next steps without making a judgment about if you're staying. Right. That's kind of like the you yeah. know, the, the components of it because you know, I think when we think about, you know, the danger that mm-hmm. there really is then a calculated risk
3: mm-hmm.
2: when you share something with someone and if they push it or if they decide they're gonna Tell. call a, if they're gonna they decide they're gonna call them and you're right. not in a safe place that could put you in more danger, right? So it's
3: everything it, is so dangerous. It's you it's, know, it's, when a, it comes, it's delicate. Yeah. It's delicate. Yeah. I think um part of part of the part of the way that I made it I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it that way. I know anyone that I would have told initially would have called him, you know, like, and then the secret would have been out. And I don't know what that would have meant for me when he got home. And right. so, you know, I, but I want to say, I did tell people along the way, Elaine, and none of them helped me. Huh? Interesting. Not one person, not one person, not huh. one person, one was his cousin. So I kind of get that, you know, she thought that, um, i don't i don't say this like as a joke but she sincerely thought that it was the devil who was um just trying to destroy our marriage and that i just need to pray about it that that was her belief system and so i don't you know i try not to take that lightly and that's the reason why she didn't offer help the other person though was a counselor a marriage counselor and that marriage counselor uh sat with us and my ex-husband explicitly said i do this like i do hit her to the marriage counselor and the marriage counselor then turned to me and said well you need to figure out ways to get him not to hit you
2: oh my goodness well i'm so sorry that that happened to you because that wasn't the the wisest it uh, marriage counselor <laughs> i know that now yeah yeah so well let's yeah. talk more about that we're going to take a short break beverly and i just want to say to our guests we have so much more to talk about because beverly also started a hashtag why i stayed uh, that kind of caught fire and we're going to talk a little bit about her advocacy and the other things that she does. We want to talk a little bit more too about how to get away. We're just touching the surface on it right now. So we'll be back in in a couple minutes and we will continue our conversation.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to traumaresourceinstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine Miller-Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma: The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at TraumaResourceInstitute.com. That's TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope.
1: This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller karras To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Welcome back. I'm here with Beverly Gooden, who is really quite an advocate regarding um, intimate partner violence. And she um, has had her own personal experience and she has written a book and I'm going to, ha- now what's the name of the book? Cause I want everybody to go out and yes. buy it again. So you <laughs> say that you say the name of your wonderful book. Thank you. It's surviving why we stay and how we leave abusive relationships. So any, p- anybody out there that wants to have more information with a really first hand account and also some really sound advice about how to Think about creating your own plan of safety, or if you have mm-hmm. somebody that you love that you feel is in this situation, it can give you information to go about that. Yeah, and you can, and you can get it on Amazon, and I guess you said it's all over there. So, it's yeah, all over. Everywhere. It's at the <laughs> library. There, so.
3: It's at the library if you
2: if you like free stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want to say one other thing too, as a professional licensed uh, therapist, is that, you know, part of of course I would have a different. Uh, perspective than the therapist that you had, because Mm. it's very important that therapists um, work for the safety of both of their clients. Mm. And of course, if someone comes to say, I want to save my marriage, that of course is something that could be a common goal. But when there is abuse that has been expressed, it's also very important to talk about safety and also mm-hmm. for the person who is the abuser to get help. We haven't talked much about that at this point, but if we don't help abusers get help to not be violent, then th- th- we're not going to stop dem- yeah. you know, intimate partner violence. Right. So We're not talking right. about that on this show, but there are many programs that work with um, perpetrators yeah. to try to help them not continue. The cycle of violence.
3: And I just want to say not all of them are like court ordered. Like if you feel like you abuse or you might or you don't know, like maybe you have a, you know, emotionally abusive behaviors and you want to get help, you can decide, you know, to to go and talk to someone in one of these organizations or groups. I think it's so important that you mention that because, you know, I think a lot of people can see see, see abuse in themselves, maybe not physical violence, but a lot of people can see themselves making statements like, if you love me, you will do exactly what I say. It's not physical, it's not good, you know, it's still bad, you know, and so, you know, I just, my hope in life is that people will self-select as someone who needs further help to know how to have healthy relationships, yes, I think if we even start there, like that, could be a
2: good point. Yes, so, you know, I think yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Beverly. And I want to ask you a little bit more though about your story about when you did leave, when you made that fateful day, and you and you got away. You had your escape bag ready. Were yeah. did he try to get a hold of you? Did he find try to find you? Did you ever hear uh-huh. from him again? I
3: consider myself very lucky in that once I was gone, he didn't come after me. I think I've had a lot of time to process that. And I think it's because he had lost control. If you know me, you know, like once I made a decision, (laughs) that is the decision. And so he knew, he knew I wasn't coming back. Like he knew that that was it for the relationship. And so then he was just done with it, you know, Um, no contesting the divorce, um, no trying to get back together none of that, but that is unusual. Actually, most abusers will do all of the things, including, you know, continued violence to try to get
2: somebody back. Okay. And so um, are, is there anything more that you want to say to our listeners as how do most survivors manage to get away? You, you've told us mm-hmm. your experience. Is there anything you'd like to add to, to that before you move forward?
3: Yeah the only thing I would say is 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 to the rest of us that are not experiencing abuse I think there are so many ways that we can help someone that we know is experiencing abuse A unique ways too. I think one of those ways is you can open up a safety deposit box for someone, you know, or you can help them open a PO box. You can have have their mail rerouted to a safe mailing. Like there are things that we can do to help others. And I think because we know that a lot of it is resources and fear and you know love and things like that, we may be dealing with someone who doesn't want to leave or doesn't know that they should. You know that it's going to escalate, and so then we can step in. Not by
2: oh, I think she just froze. I don't think it's me. So hopefully we'll get her back soon. But I think what she's talking about is that whole aspect of escalation and that um, if that's happening, if you as a family member can do some things that may make a very big difference for the person who's, who's dealing with that, that kind of issue. So I know that one of the, one, um, one of the methods I heard from one person was what if, um, um, When I came to see you, if I saw you, if I took a picture of your driver's license or I took a picture of your birth certificate, so I had that on my phone, you know, they wouldn't be on your phone. And then I would have that to safeguard because sometimes just those kinds of papers that we know that we need are things that we can, um, that we don't have access to if they're being, um, secreted or held by the, the. Per, the perpetrator in your home. So any way that you can collect that information then becomes really, really important. So, um, so Beverly lost her, 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 uh, her zoom link. So hopefully she'll come back. But so I want to say a little bit more about the um, national domestic violence hotline, because if any of you are experiencing domestic violence and you're hearing the show, and you're saying, I need to make some changes right now, the, domestic, the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Again, 1-800-799-7233. So um, we're again waiting for Beverly hopefully to get back on, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, in terms of for the person that ha- has left that many people have shared with me over the years how much guilt they felt um, sometimes themselves about, well, if I just would have done it differently, maybe these things wouldn't have happened. And I want to talk a little bit about self-compassion and how you can um, really start to really give yourself some grace that when you were in that situation, you did the very best you could under very, very difficult circumstances and when those kinds of things happen to a person um there's all sorts of you know uh reprocessing after the event saying well i could have done this i could have done that but to give yourself some grace and to really practice self-compassion and also i want to say that many of survivors have shared with me how important it was for them to start to go to um uh, centers where they could get support and they could talk to other people who've gone through a similar experience and that um, can give support to one another. Um, so those those um, aspects can be one of the ways that you can develop more self-compassion. But I want to talk a little bit about the children. So one of the, the uh, we haven't um, spoken much about the kids. So when kids grow up in households where they're observing violence they're being a witness. Um, they're also sometimes what we call praise cause sometimes they're also, um, um, they're also victimized by the perpetrator. And so it's really important too, that you get your child help. I can't say that every child who grows up in abusive situation will become an abuser, but we know that if a child can learn how to, um, How can, how, if the child can learn how to deal with their own feelings about being in a situation? Where they experienced abuse that can be really really important for them so beverly lost her power but she's coming back and so um so beverly, sorry. <laughs> no, that, those kinds of things happen i just want you to know that oh, um, no. we we haven't skipped a beat i talked about the, <laughs> the, the i talked about the national domestic violence hotline and oh. i've been just talking a little bit yeah. about having self-compassion and mm. um and giving grace because sometimes as we know after the fact, you're going, why did I do that? Why did yeah. I just said you did the very best you could bring yeah. a situation that was very difficult. And I right. was just touching upon children and how important it is that if your child has observed the violence, important uh. to get the children help, because not every child who grows up in a in a home where there's been violence becomes an abuser themselves, but some do. And so getting them help is one of the biggest things that you can do. I don't know if you have anything you wanna say about that, Beverly. I,
3: I don't have any children, but my ex-husband has a story to tell about his, his childhood growing up and or not tell. But I, I can attest that people who, some people, some children who have witnessed abuse or experienced abuse um can perpetuate that later in life so that is I can attest to that yeah
2: yeah so getting your child help would become very important and if you do go to a shelter they have programs set up for children too knowing that children have gone through that but so I want to kind of like segue now that you're back online with us I want to talk a little bit about the kind of movement you started you created the the, the hashtag uh, in 2014 hashtag why stayed and it caught fire so what did that tell you and Tell us what happened yeah. as a result of that.
3: Yeah, so just uh, to run it down quickly. So why I stayed was a hashtag that I started in 2014 in, result, in, in response to the Ray Rice video. Um, he was a football player, Baltimore Ravens, and there was a video that TMZ released of him punching his fiance in an elevator and dragging oh, her out. I remember that. Right, so that came out. Everyone was sympathetic towards her. And as soon as the news came out that she had since married him, all of that sympathy went away so then it became why would she stay with him why would she marry him like what i would never do anything like that and that's the moment that i felt a significant amount of shame not for being uh, an abuse survivor but one who chose to stay with the person who was abusive and so i started to tweet my reasons for staying and uh, hundreds of thousands of people joined in and it's so interesting because it lets me know that survivors want to talk about the complexities of domestic violence. You know, they want you to know why someone would stay because they want you not you, but they want us to stop asking that question, you know, because there are so many reasons. We've talked about a lot of them today, and I think the more that it's out there, the more that we push back on the why would you stay? Well, I would stay because of this. You know, the less that question the less prevalent that question will become. Now, I don't think anyone should feel pressured to say why they stayed or to even share their story of abuse out loud because it's really hard to be on the internet talking about abuse because people are mean, very, very mean. So, you know, it's not an easy journey, but you know, for those of us who are comfortable or who want to do it, I feel like it's really important to continue talking about the reasons for staying. I read a story that someone stayed because they had a chronic health condition and their husband had the health insurance that was employer-sponsored and therefore subsidized. And so without that husband and that insurance, they would have to figure out how to afford, you know, health insurance, medication, all of these things. And that was their reason for staying. And it makes sense you know, like that makes sense. And so I
2: think the more we talk about it, the, the easier it'll be on survivors in the future. Well, Beverly, I'm just I'm, I'm here listening to you. And I just had this, this spark that came into me, and I'm going, wow, you didn't know anything about domestic violence. Mm-hmm. You just went on the internet that day, and you just put that sentence in. And mm-hmm. now you have not only re- written a book, you caused a really a movement. And yeah. you sound very knowledgeable about uh-huh. all you know the all the different aspects that you're talking about. And I want to ask you a question. Yeah. yeah. What is it about you that helped you get through? What is it about Beverly Gooden that somehow had this spark that was able to do this? Cause boy, that is like amazing when I'm, I'm talking to you about this. I've never been asked that question before. Well,
3: well, look at that. I think, I think so. After I left my ex-husband, um, I went back to grad school because i had left grad school at his urging to be with him. I went back to grad school and I started to study domestic violence. And so that's how I ended up writing my master's thesis about domestic violence. And then I never wanted to talk about it again. (laughs) Like, Like, and so, um. I think it's, I don't know. I, I I have a, I have a, I don't like to see people suffer. I also don't like to see people bullied. Those are two things that I hate. It's always been a part of me. It, it makes it, I'm getting hot thinking about it, bullying and um, just abuse itself. And I think that's what compels me to you know, acknowledge my feelings, but also set them aside so that I can help other people. Because I think that it is conquerable. We can conquer abuse. It's gonna take a lot, like it's not gonna happen like tomorrow, but I think there are ways we can teach children early on. What is what is healthy touching? You know, you when you like someone, you don't pinch them or you don't pull their hair. You say, I like you. And then if they don't like you back, what do you do with that rejection? How do you process that? You see what I'm saying? Like, we can start early. So, you
2: know? <laughs> we can start early. So, what I'm hearing from you is that your empathy and compassion for those who suffered also yeah. caused something to happen in you where you're now, yeah, you know, an author of a book about this. You now are, are talking about it on, you know, national talk shows and TV yeah. programs. And so, this thing that was your great suffering, yeah has become something that has given you great wisdom thank you yeah Yeah, it's just like I always think that's kind of inspiring you know like the things that that happen to us in our lives and so you know it's like that little sign I know it's kind of corny but it says you know when you know when life gives you lemons make yeah (laughs) I
3: I have that sign in my kitchen
2: actually (laughs) oh my gosh of course you do (laughs) of course you do I'm not surprised that you do (laughs) But so, because there there is an an optimism about where you go from there.
3: Yeah, Uh, I think lemonade
2: is delicious, you know, like, so
3: something really bad can happen and then you can make something beautiful out of it. And the end of my book, actually, Elaine, is hopeful. You know, it's not a book that ends on a sad note or leaves you with a, a hanging trauma. And I wrote it that way on purpose. I want people to walk away from this book knowing one, that I'm okay, I'm, I'm perfectly fine, everything is good. Two, to know that I'm still healing. And I believe that healing is perpetual. It's forever. You don't ever have to reach healing. I've attained healing. And three, that, you know, through a lot of steps and help and
2: planning, you can be okay as well. I believe that. I believe yeah. that in my heart. Well, and so it's such a hopeful message yeah. that you're that you're leaving us with. But that's I think that's part of like as much as we suffer in life and we yeah. know that people are maybe listening to this program suffering right now. Yeah. There may may be another side to this that is ahead of you but yeah. that you have to take those steps first to get there and the yeah. journey is treacherous and it's, it's not bad. easy and yeah. it, and it's and it's dangerous it's but dangerous. it doesn't mean that there's not something you know this is this show's called resiliency within what does that I mean it. it's like you know this this aspect of ourselves that yes we can lean into the suffering but we can mm-hmm. also lean into what else could be true exactly. and what you've done in, in your life is a testament to what else is true yeah so, So, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's absolutely remarkable even going on and doing, you know, and doing your, your master's thesis on this. So I want to, and this kind of leads me, what role does forgiveness play into moving on when I just asked you that question? (laughs) Forgiveness is such an important concept. So share your insights about that yeah, I think it's it's for, it's important, like culturally,
3: we talk a lot about forgiveness. and then, um, in the religious basis, I grew up um, in 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 religion, and forgiveness is heavy there. Forgiveness now, I have different ideas about it. It's not moral to me anymore. You know, I think forgiveness can have a really heavy morality tie. And to me, forgiveness is a choice. You know, forgiveness is a choice that you make based on the factors that you choose so for me as an example in order for me to forgive you you know or anyone who has done something i need to see change behavioral change i need to see that first i need you to say i'm sorry you know i need you to to acknowledge that you've caused me pain and feel sorry about it i think a lot of times we forgive and we don't have any of those you know because we believe that forgiveness is the path to peace or that we have to forgive you know if, if it's the most important thing, but I don't believe that. I think resolving what you've been through, resolution for me is the path to peace. So I've resolved that abuse happened to me. It happened. I can't change that, and I let it go. You know, I resolve to not speak to him again. I resolve to um, study healthy relationships and try to be that, behave that way. But I don't choose to forgive. I, I don't have to. I don't believe that that's necessary. I believe if you want to, if you believe that in your heart, that's going to give you peace, do it. But I don't think we should hold that as a standard to getting peace. There are other things we can do to get peace. There are other things we can do to move on and this doesn't have to be one of them.
2: Well, and I think that that's really, an, I, I love your perspective on it because I think that some people can then go around beating themselves up. Why can't I forgive?
3: Yes. Right. It's, it's not good. Right.
2: And so you can, and I like the word resolution. You can resolve that this happened and that you never want that to happen again. And you will live your life in trying to Mm. stand in the presence of kind of justice. I think I'll talk of justice, right? And say, no, that was wrong. And what happened to me was not right. And I yes. can resolve that, and I can move forward, and I think and that's, I can
3: move forward.
2: Yeah, and and so I think there's many paradigms of looking at that, and I think that's another one for people to kind of chaw in a little bit to see, okay, yeah, you know, what you know, is that something that resonates with you or not? So,
3: and I want, I just wanted to quickly say that I we've heard in the past, I don't know if anyone else has, people always say forgiveness is is a gift to yourself. Like forgiveness is for you. And I don't see how that makes sense. Forgiveness is a gift to the person receiving it. They are receiving your absolution, right? They're receiving that from you. That's a gift that you're giving to them. If they haven't earned it, or if you don't want to give that yet,
2: that should be okay. That should yeah. be okay. All right. So Beverly, Oh my goodness, I could talk to you for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so I've got one parting question as we're getting close to ending is that if someone came up to you right now and said they were in an abusive relationship but didn't want to leave because they still love their abuser, what would you say to them? I would say that that is not foolish. You
3: know, I would say that that um, makes sense. I would also say, What I've learned is that we can love people from a distance. We don't have to love them by being in a relationship with them. We don't have to love them by talking to them. You know, we can love them in our hearts and then maybe one day we won't love them anymore. But love doesn't have to tie us to our abuser because we can love people from a distance. And so it makes sense, you know, that you love the person that you're with and and that love is there. But I think, you know, knowing that we can love people from a distance, what's your next step? Is it to tell someone what's going on, someone that you trust, someone that you consider to be safe, talk to them, bring them into the situation, ask them to help you think through what's happening. Is this dangerous for me? Is this a red flag? Am I in trouble? You know, tell someone that you trust what's going on and help them um, and have them help you make next steps because love is important. Love
2: tied me to my ex-husband, but love wouldn't have saved me in the end. Right. It won't save your life. And so the other thing I would want to just add to what you said is also create a safety plan in case you needed to leave. If you felt you were in in harm's way or your children were, where's your escape bag and and where can you keep it and create that safety plan? I also want people to know that they can go to your webpage. Can you tell them your
3: webpage? Yes. If they want to get in
2: touch with you
3: so my website is Beverlygooden.com. that's last name is bell g-o-o-d-e-n.com and the book surviving why we stay and how we leave abusive relationships is available everywhere anywhere you want
2: <laughs> so i can i hope that you can all see the light in um in how beverly shows up in the world and how she really did take the suffering and create something amazing from it. And it seems like you're not done yet either. You're you're (laughs) continuing on this journey. And I just want to say to my listeners, you know, that I often end the show by saying, what else is true? Mm -hmm. And and there is no greater testament to Beverly Gooden of the suffering she had. And she really sought out what else was true about her life, Mm -hmm. even going on to create a hashtag that has been you know what was it thousands of people have responded because it was the right thing to say at the right time to be with people who were suffering so with with that beverly thank you so much for being on the show until we meet again um, voice america (laughs) listeners we will see you next time and remember the national abuse hotline if you feel you or someone you know 800 799-7233. And you can start to get help today. Blessings to all of my listeners, wherever you are on the globe.